came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Medding. And I am Xenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, Jason. Hey, Ksenia. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. Today's episode is my favorite episode of the audience participation. Hooray! I've been waiting for this for a while. Yeah, it's always fun. We, um, we've, we've managed to do it pretty consistently every season, right? Yeah, every season. And I think our questions um, are getting more and more straightforward soon, you know. <laughs> we'll just ask them the really simple. Um, I, I really enjoy this. There's so many things to consider and it's fantastic that all of you uh, joining us in this excitement that we have. Mm. So anyway, I think we have quite a lot of discuss today to discuss today. So let's just get on with this. Um, and this, for this episode, we asked our audience one pretty straightforward question. Is there anything wrong with framing disasters as events? Why or why not? Yeah, so simple, but quite contentious, right? <laughs> Yeah, and um, you know it's something that comes up quite often. I think in um, discussions, in conferences, in papers, in books, uh, we find lots of examples of this being contentious. And so when we put this out on Twitter, we got, as always, a bit of a diversity of views. And the poll mm -hmm. that we did on Twitter was a bit telling. So what we found was that 25% of respondents said that we should never frame disasters as events. 19% said that it's fine and the disaster is an event. And the rest, which was more than half, 56%, were indecisive about this, saying that sometimes it's okay to frame disaster as an event. So we do have a lot to discuss today. And of course, as always, we have some amazing audio clips from our audience. Thank you all so much for participating and sending us your clips. Um, and yeah, so we're going to listen to some of those and have a conversation about some of the key themes that emerged from this survey that we did. So when we listened to the submissions for this question, the first theme that emerged when we listened to them was the conversation about disasters as a historical process. So. Let's listen into some of the clips that mention this. Viewing disasters as events masks vulnerability and the role of history. But we also think that that's a fairly well accepted argument now within the disasters field. By extending our outlook, we can gain a way more detailed and more depth in understanding how disasters are created and also what needs to be done to address them. We've also talked about how an event implies a clear-cut beginning and ending. And when we think about colonisation and neoliberalism as disasters, it becomes clear that beginnings are complex and the endings haven't happened yet. 
but this is also probably true with most disasters. They are created by the status quo and the status quo obviously does not have clear beginnings and endings. Um, also, just as an event suggests a certain time period, it also implies a specific geographic space, which may not represent the locations in which the construction of risk has taken place, for example, political institutions. Events have beginnings and ends, and I don't think many disasters have clear-cut beginnings or ends. They're situated so historically within spaces, and there's not really an end uh, point that you can really pinpoint sort of the end of a disaster and pre-planning for the next or trying to understand how to respond to that. Um, there's not really a stopping point. And so I think we kind of trick ourselves or fool ourselves into thinking there's really an end. And I don't think there is. The fact is that all disasters have chronologies. They all have a history. Um, sometimes it's rapid itself, sometimes it's slow, but they did not come like bolts out of the blue. They have a long history of decisions, um, habits, customs, perceptions, and that all lead to their culmination. So they aren't events, they're processes. People in the global south, they just look at the, you know, the European unions and all these meetings, and we just snicker. We're like, yeah, brother, level playing field. All righty. All righty. I believe you. Yeah, I believe you because you have the power, you have the military, you have everything. Yeah, so if you want to call it whatever you want to call it, but, you know, don't let me catch you. <laughs> Don't let me catch it because, you know, we can't do anything, right? We, it is not a level playing field. They've set all the rules for 500 years and, you know, you just have to continue to live with it until you cannot. So disasters are socio-political processes and, and the problem with framing disasters as events is the fact that it takes away, that, that it puts attention on, on hazards somehow, right, on, on the physical processes rather than issues of what caused the disaster to occur. So those, when we speak about developmental processes, when we speak about root causes of disasters, those are processes that are, that are the recipe somehow for, for this disaster to happen. So the minute we sort of move away from that and call this is an event, I think that it, it's also, um, it's also cre creating injustice to the people affected by these disasters. Well, as you've heard from these clips, most of our followers agree that disaster is not an event, but uh, instead it is a process. However, not everyone signs up to this opinion. Uh, on Twitter, for instance, a couple of people said that, and I quote, it's a kind of epistemological question that doesn't have a lot of bearing on operations to say something complex, fractal-like, say wildfire, with all its causes and effects is an event, is not strictly the most accurate. It's fine, in my opinion. There is nothing wrong with it. I do not generally think that the exact language used by practitioners is very important beyond its ability to adequately communicate with each other and public. Um, I think it's quite a nice summary of different opinions that we got, but they were kind of all um, along these lines. And a few other followers also said that they used 
event, a word event to describe disasters, because it makes sense in emergency management. And because public, again, understands um, what it means. And we were even told off by a couple of people for pontificating about this. Um, I think this is not the first time that we are told off for pontificating mm. full stop um, sort of my life. But never mind. Well, um, it is interesting. Again, I think we're coming back to this conversation about the clarity of language, right? And the clarity of communication. So what people are perceived or are believed to understand on, or not to understand. Um, what I really liked um, is, of course, the diversity of opinion. But I also really enjoyed the fact that quite a few people pointed us out towards the history as a discipline, right? And a few people suggested different books and different resources. You can check those out on Twitter. Um, we'll post some links um, in the show notes as well. Um, because, and we were kind of suggested that history as a discipline can really help us understand what is an event. And this is important in a way that we discuss disasters. Yeah, I think it can. And um, it's it's a bit difficult because we have the... Um, view that maybe looking to history helps us to show the process of uh, risk, you know, being created and accumulating to kind of trace the root causes. We need to look to history, of course. Um, but also there is this sort of power, I suppose, in the event. And something that's just come up through these discussions we're having is maybe an appreciation for me personally of uh, the potential of an event. And we were talking mm -hmm. about this recently around, um, you know, there is this moment when the status quo is disrupted, yeah, which is, which is an event. And so there's this potential in that moment for some sort of um, redirection of, you know, that trajectory of the society. And, People often have a lot of hope in that moment and turn up for each other and show solidarity. And as we know from disaster sociology, behave altruistically. Um, and that's, that is kind of, all of that is depending, dependent on this sort of event framing. Mm. And so I think if we say it should never be, disaster should never be framed as event, we sort of lose some of the potential there and the, the hope perhaps that is inherent in um what we know about human behavior in disaster quote unquote events mm -hmm. um and i i i appreciate that a lot um so yeah we don't want to lose that do we no no absolutely and you know i was thinking a lot about the responses that we got and also you know we've we've had quite a lot of offline conversations right about mm. this and i kind of went and digged you know some philosophical texts um on this just because i was interested in how this can be framed further and i really liked um zizek's framing who writes that event is not something that occurs within the world but it is a change of the very frame through which we perceive the world and engage with it and I think this is ex exactly what you were talking about. If we look at disaster as an event, kind of quote unquote, right? It is that fr that frame or the lens of hope that you, we would hopefully hope, hopefully mm. um, use um, to then change the status quo. And I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll come back to this later on in the discussion. But I also wonder whether 
actually we should think about events philosophically as well as historically here mm. and for instance you know if we follow um the logic of uh, alan badieu then disaster if we see it as an event kind of creates a possibility space right through which um a rupture of previous power relationships is possible and so that rupture allows for new subjectivities right and it allows for new political um assemblages to emerge wow i'm really contributing to the um jargon jar today right you are yeah. uh, <laughs> i'm sorry I, i will i will snap out of it but yeah and i really like um Badiou's framing because he allows us to see almost like through the cracks um he allows us to see the political vision um of not of something that wasn't previously possible and so disasters therefore become this like mappable moments right um and continuing events um so it allows us to see disaster as an as an event and as a process at the same time um and it allows to see how people relate to this mappable moments and recollect both the processes and the event because really for people who experience disasters and who are most affected by disasters um the event is just manifestation of their everyday struggle and destitution right. and i think this is this is the most important thing here right and we've seen that brought up by a lot of different um authors and commentators mm. um to you know with regards to covid and um we we see it uh when when a lot of different disaster events occur um you know that there's this commentary about the fact that this event is revealing the the ruptures in society revealing the injustices and inequalities in society yeah um but also like i was saying earlier it also reveals what i think is core human nature which is altruistic and good i would say which we've talked about before you know um and something i was thinking there as you were talking was this um you know this idea of potential for something different potential for departure mm-hmm. from the status quo is certainly there um during that that um period of of the event and the problem is that usually it goes back to nor- so-called normal. Yeah. So-called yeah, yeah. normal for most people is not a good condition. And so the the norm is to go back and even to reinforce the injustices that were there before. And I think you know when when yourself and Wes talk about this in in the context of build back better, I think this is what you're getting mm-hmm. at is that a capitalist society tends to reinforce the uh dominance of the of that economic system and uh and those who power who gain power and profit from it um as quickly as possible right when things are disrupted uh-huh. when when people maybe feel um that change is possible that that reinforcement comes with a bang right yeah exactly and i i think framing disaster in this way also helps us to then realize that you know capitalism is not just about economic relationship right it's really about the way of kind of organizing the relationship between human and the nature you know, yeah. for, for choice of a better binary um 
and it, we, of course, we're not the first people to talk about it. To me, I think the best example of the discussion about disaster, the kind of process that turns into an event, is Tony Oliver Smith 500-year mm. earthquake piece, right? right. Which right. I guess most of us know um, about because he explains really, really well how and why disaster is a process and an event at the same time. Right. So another issue that has come up in the audios that you all sent us was that framing disasters as events tends to hide some of the processes that are not even seen as disasters. And so um, let's just listen into some of those comments. Another problem with the event framing is that disasters that comprise slower, creeping processes that do not have that kind of spectacle associated with them often go under the radar of disaster governance and accountability. So we're thinking here of processes created through policies of environmental racism, such as environmental degradation, pollution and forced removal from lands, for example. The persistence of the disaster cycle in much of the literature has arguably contributed towards a conceptualization of disasters that undervalues the beneficial impacts of pre-disaster and thus the need to address the root causes that may turn a hazard into a disaster. The phases within the disaster cycle therefore tend to frame a disaster as a distinct event and a technocratic problem that can be managed rather than a process that is neither linear nor cyclical but instead multi-dimensional and evolving. There is increasing acknowledgement that we need to avoid making the disaster event the key component of the concept, as I believe this is rather defeatist and, and also inaccurate. The persistence of the disaster event in the disaster cycle is, I believe, indicative of the enduring legacy of disaster management rather than disaster risk management per se, where most activities tended to be based towards emergency management uh, interventions such as responding to events or at least preparing to respond to events. Surely the key weakness of the disaster cycle, as it is often represented, is that the cycle starts and ends in a disaster. This implies that a disaster is required to instigate risk reduction activities, which is not the case. Conceptualization of disasters as events is commonly seen in legal definitions. This approach is often justified in terms of legal certainty in relation to responsibility and accountability. However, framing disasters as events rather than as complex processes steers the focus away from an exploration of the root causes of disaster risk. The result is that many individuals or entities involved in creating the conditions for disaster are not held accountable for their actions and inactions. Local communities really understand this disaster as something that they are still living. So this is not something in the past. They are very explicit about uh, this being an ongoing disaster and not uh, something that is finished. However, there are particular political connotations between two groups in regards to the usages of the ongoing disaster that they are experiencing. For some people, uh, still living the disaster means that they have to be together as a community because they are joined by this tragedy. They, they have a similar feeling for what they experience and they have to be uh, united during the commemoration of the disaster 
and they have to respect their losses. But for, all, for another group, the disaster being an ongoing process means that they have to do something about the wider structures reproducing their, their vulnerabilities, which in their perspective hasn't really changed. Well, so as you've heard in these clips, there is quite a lot that can be hidden by the framing of disasters and events. And these are the kind of actions and inactions, but also the experiences of disasters. But to me, what really resonated is what Anushka and Katie say um, in their clip in that uh, framing disasters as events hides everything that is not a spectacle. Mm. I just felt that it's such a great way to put it. And um, of course, immediately it reminded me of uh, Guy Debord's commentary on the society of the spectacle. Um, and I want I want to read a little piece if you indulge me. Go for um, it. You will. You always do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, all right. So um, Guy Debord writes, Contemporary events themselves retreat into a remote and fabulous realm of unverifiable stories, uncheckable statistics, unlikely explanations, and untenable reasoning. For every imbecility presented by the spectacle, there are only the media's professionals to give an answer, with very few respectful rectifications or remonstrations. And they're hardly extravagant, even with these, for besides their extreme ignorance, their personal and professional solidarity with the spectacle's overall authority, and the society it expresses makes it their duty and their pleasure never to diverge from that authority whose majesty must not be threatened. It must not be forgotten that every media professional is bound by wages and other reward and recompenses to a master and sometimes to several, and that every one of them knows he is dispensable. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is the answer to why we... Um, see disasters framed as they are, right? Um, mm. Dubois man managed to summarize it all in one paragraph. No, it's so true that um, there there is a lot of uh, power maybe in maintaining certain narratives. Mm -hmm. There's uh, we we always or we've talked about this uh, many times when we talk maybe about the media or. Um, you know, about the, the way that politicians tend to frame disaster. We even have it in our intro to the podcast, you know, some of the, the ways <laughs> in which polit politicians frame, like they, they have an agenda in framing disasters as events, right? And especially as natural events. Um, mm. Because a lot, of, a lot of the action and inaction are erased that, that created the risk, right? And so there's, there's a lot invested in maintaining narrative, maintaining stories, um, kind of, you know, like Chomsky, manufacturing consent. Right? This reminded me, um, as you were talking, that we actually, we kind of not only need this framing, but we also need disasters, right? Remember the essay by Sarah Brack, uh, Bouncing Back, right? I think it was mm. called, where, where she's saying that, we need disasters to have resilience. And of course, we dis we, we've discussed this whole narrative, neoliberal narrative of resilience over and over again. Um, and how can we lose the framing of a disaster as an event when it, it really is not going to pay back, right? It will take then the attention from 
um, the decisions, and I use quotation marks here, that are taken to kind of save everybody from a disaster or to blame nature. Yeah, and it it sustains a lot of industries, a lot of uh, companies, mm-hmm. a lot of government agencies, a lot of professional uh, kind of lives are wrapped up in um, combating external threats. So there, you know, there's a, there's a lot of agenda here to maintain this uh, kind of positioning against nature, nature and maintain mm. the framing that our problems are external, you know, our problems are need to, we need to fight against nature. I think there, I think uh-huh. it's a big, big issue. Well, I think it's pretty clear from our discussion, but also from the reflections that um, our audience shared with us, is that the framing of disasters as event is quite problematic. But can something be done about it? Let's listen to a few more clips from our audience. Viewing disasters as processes rather than events allows us to really contextualize disasters. Because when we do so, we have to understand the politics, the culture and the society within which these processes happen to grasp how disasters are created and have been allowed to happen. Thinking of disasters as events is deceptive and it hides power imbalances and leads disaster management astray. I do appreciate that embracing an event-focused perspective of disaster risk management can indeed be useful for some stakeholders, particularly those that are primarily involved in specific phases, such as the emergency planners that need to consider how to prepare and respond to various disaster scenarios. And thus it is understandable why the event is a key factor for some decision makers. However, a number of us have been suggesting that we move towards a more holistic perception of disaster risk management. One that, similar to the pressure and release model, aims to show that disaster risk, vulnerability, politics and development are dynamic processes and the management of disaster risk cannot be limited to merely one event. The mere structure of our silos means that someone like me in engineering has a very difficult time finding someone who is in history or plus someone who is in social justice to come together and then to recognize the collaborative multidisciplinary subject that we're trying to pursue and then to get that type of research funded. Very hard to do for a reason. Nobody wants to hear that. So listening to those clips, one thing that really stands out to me is that, um, and this comes also like from working in a U.S. context for the last couple of years and being bombarded with the constant framing of disasters as natural, disasters as events, like a combative, security-oriented um, approach to disaster risk. Um, and also just the, the prominence of, of emergency management agencies and professionalism in the U.S. is like this, this idea of disaster as a cycle and very mm-hmm. tidy like phases uh, to which you can kind of adopt a militaristic response to, right? Sure. And, and you just sure. kind of slot your profession into the correct phase of the cycle and rinse and repeat every time, you know? <laughs> um, 
So I, I was really interested recently to see the paper that Lee Bosher and yourself and DeWald put out that was con contesting the cycle and suggesting that disaster risk management needed to think more about what you call the helix. Um, so, yeah, I would like to ask you to maybe talk a little bit about <laughs> that, Ksenia, because I think it's, it's really interesting and, um, to think about how do we break out of the so-called disaster cycle, because surely that's not something we want to be stuck in forever and ever. Yeah, for sure. And I think Lee alluded to this quite nicely in his um, reflections. Uh, thanks, Lee, for, <laughs> for sending us those. But it, indeed, this, you know, this is what we're arguing for. What, what you said is that um, we don't want to start with a disaster and end up with a disaster. Mm -hmm. um, and for that, we need to understand that disaster phases are not cyclical and they're not, um, you know, there aren't any phases per, per se, right? They're kind of uh, sometimes they can happen at the same time. Mm. Um, we divide disaster into phases because that's convenient, because we can then start thinking, but that create in a kind of siloed way in, because that is how we think, right? Yeah. Um, but that doesn't address the root causes and that doesn't show that disaster is indeed is a process. So what we see with cycle as a process is a kind of response to disaster, but not disaster itself. Whereas Helix kind of, helps us to move away from this a little bit in a way that um, it allows us to recognize that disasters need to be considered from temporal and spatial points of view. And sometimes the temporality um, is, you know, decades if not centuries, and so is space, right? That the space um, outside of the immediate place where disasters are happening may have um, an impact. Um, yeah, slightly complicated, but the paper is actually much easier than what I've just explained. So we'll, <laughs> we'll put we'll put the link um, on the show notes. I think that the idea of the helix gives us a chance to maybe reflect on the weaknesses and gaps in current the the way that we maybe mobilize professionally to mm -hmm. deal with risk um, and. It, kind of, it maybe helps us to overcome some of the problems with the strict kind of phase-oriented approaches or strategies, um, to maybe to move to more towards a holistic model for, um, for looking at risk and more interdisciplinary in US-speak convergent um, practice. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and, um, but I, I think it's important because what we see, it, it, this also has an impact on funding, right? Because a lot of the mm -hmm. funding is definitely oriented. And I'm talking more like funding for risk activities or um, is oriented towards recovery. And we know this and we, we know the problems with this and how it actually is much more, it's, it's much smarter in terms of using money to prevent disasters happening rather than rebuilding yeah. from them. But it's also not much more profitable for for entities that that are um, enhanced <laughs> through, through recovery. So there's lots of reasons why recovery gets all the investment. And I think we need to look more deeply at that and possibly a more holistic model allows us to do that. Sure, because then a more holistic model, I think, would also help us 
understand that disasters are political. They are political mm. processes and events, right? And this is what I think we're still in denial um, <laughs> of. We keep treating disasters kind of shocks and events and then, mm-hmm. oh, oh, sudden, sudden kind of thing. We didn't expect this to happen, right? And it, it is never political. The discourse, as we said, the framing is never political. And I think framing of the event allows for that apolitical narrative um, because it's easier to explain in an apolitical way. Yeah. But really, I, I just want to go back to something that you said earlier in this episode, is that event if we look at it historically, is a kind of relatively rare happening that significantly transforms structures. And disasters don't do this, right? As you've emphasized, because we keep returning to status quo. But if they did, if a disaster, if we all of a sudden start framing a a disaster as a political event, because we can call for positive transformation, I'd be totally up for it, Mm. right? (laughs) It would be kind of this this, this window of possibility, this window of opportunity. Um, And I... Gonna go back to Zizek as well. I'm, I've been slightly obsessing with him um, <laughs> lately. I'm not sure what it says about me, um, but I, I just in his book, um, which is called Event, he writes: um, In an event, things not only change. What changes is the very parameter by which we measure the facts of change. I.e., a turning point changes the entire field within which facts appear. This is crucial to bear in mind today when things change all the time at an unheard of frantic speed. However, beneath all this constant change, it is not difficult to discern a rather dull sameness as if things change so that everything can remain the same. In capitalism, where things have to change all the time to remain the same, the true event would have been to transform the very principle of change. End of quote. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Right? This is what I want disaster as an event being framed as, being understood as. Yeah. I think that's possible. I I need to think more about this, but it it definitely is food for thought. Hopefully it uh, resonates with our listeners. And um, thank you for bringing the the literature today. That's been amazing. (laughs) When don't I? Um, That's true. And the... (laughs) yeah my favorite thing is to read from books okay so thank you all again so much for contributing your thoughts for um, taking part in our poll on twitter for tuning in and listening again we appreciate all of the support and enthusiasm for some of these topics that we bring to you and um yeah this has been really great Sonia. i've enjoyed discussing um disasters as processes and events um both it seems are appropriate yeah it's fantastic i always these participatory episodes they really make me kind of engage and think and it's wonderful so thank you all so much for stimulating our thinking Mm. and for really encouraging the conversation and indeed if you have any comments or thoughts on this episode let us know because i think this is the subject that or the topic that we will keep talking about and we will be um, coming back to because there isn't a clear answer and perhaps we don't need a clear answer but we would certainly love the discussion well thank you all for being with us today 
And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDecon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time. You've been listening to Jason, Ksenia, Anushka Musurska, Katie Davison, Emmanuel Raju, Daniel Rivera, David Privat, Susanna Hoffman, Lee Bosher, Marie Aronson Storier, and Ricardo Fuenteabla on Disasters Deconstructed podcast. <laughs>